0: Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. Um, If you've been following along, uh, we are in the Gospel of Mark, and we are up to chapter 9. But I want to go back for a minute because from this moment on, Jesus begins to really start the process of discipling his followers. And if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 9, but I'm going to put a couple of verses from chapter 8 up on the screen just to help give us some context. Right, So he begins this process of really digging into and equipping his disciples to continue the work that he has begun, and he makes it pretty clear and I know people aren't happy with this phrase, but discipleship isn't for punks. It's not for weak and people who don't want to follow, and uh, there's a difference between disciples and people who just say, I'm a Christian. Not a bad thing, but there is a difference. And here's, look at this verse. This is what he kind of makes crystal clear to anyone who wants to call themselves a disciple. Uh, In Mark chapter 8, He says this, verse 29, what about you? Now he's talking to his disciples, right? He says, what about you? And he asked them, who do you say that I am? And we talked about this last week and said, this is the question that everyone has to answer. Not about being a disciple, but just if you want to be a Christ follower, who is Jesus to you? Right? He doesn't leave room for I'm just a good teacher or just one of the prophets uh, because he makes claims that he himself is God. Right? And he actually, in the next verses tells them that you need to come follow me. Uh, and we also have to say, if he is who he says he is, God in the flesh, then what did he teach? And are we willing to accept his teachings? And will we go tell other people about him? Because that's the command he gives to us. That's what he asks us to do. Right. So then, in the very next couple of verses, this is what he says. He called the crowd to him along with those people who are already his disciples. And he says to the crowd, whoever wants to be my disciple. He's not talking about just people who want to be Christ followers. He's not talking about people who want to just get into heaven. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now again, this doesn't Uh, just leave room for him to be just a good teacher, right? Because if he was just a good teacher, then everyone should be following him if what he taught was effective, right? So he says, you have to take up your cross and follow me. He says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. And he's not talking about people having to be martyrs and literally sacrifice their life. He's talking about putting the kingdom of God first above all else. And he's not saying you can't have a job, you can't have a career, you can't have a family, but he is saying that if you want to be a disciple, then you need to put the kingdom of God before everything else, right? Uh, He goes on and he says this, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul, or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul, and then he ends this with this, what good is it, oops, sorry, I didn't kick to the next one. Uh, He says, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And again, he's still talking about disciples and still talking about people willing to put the kingdom of God first, and that word ashamed is like embarrassed. So he said, if anyone is ashamed or embarrassed to put me first, put Jesus Christ first, then he is going to be ashamed and embarrassed to put them first. And I keep hearing folks talk about we got to make disciples, we've got to make disciples, but I don't think folks understand the cost that Jesus said to being a disciple, right? So there is a significant cost to say that I want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, which is different than just being a follower of Jesus Christ, right? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've stepped across the line of faith, uh, what we call Christians, most of us are Christians, we stepped across the line of faith, we put our faith and trust in him. Nothing wrong with that, but being a disciple is kind of like next level. And there is a cost to it, because Jesus said, you need to put me above all other things, right, if you want to be a disciple. Now, if you go look up the word disciple in the dictionary, it says one who spreads the teachings of another. That's what we think it means today, which is why there's this faulty understanding of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Because if you go around and tell people, you know, here's what Jesus taught, by that definition, you're a disciple. By Jesus' definition, that's not what a disciple was. In Jesus' day, a disciple was a lifelong learner who would commit to spending their life with someone So they could learn from them and then go and live out what they learned. This is why when you read about the apostles over and over and over, it says they left their jobs, they left their homes, they left their successful businesses to go be a disciple of Jesus Christ. They didn't just go to church on Sunday, hear what Jesus said, then go out and share it with other people. They spent time in the morning with him. They spent time in the evening with him. They had lunches with him. They hung out with him. They devoted their life to following him, to learning from him, so then they could go out and do what he did. Now, that's different than what the church calls today being a disciple, right? So when people say, oh, we need to make disciples, when Jesus said make disciples in Matthew 28, go out into the world, this is what he was talking about not just get people into church so they can hear what you say on Sunday, but have them spend time morning, noon, night in the presence of God so they can learn what it means to be a Christ follower and then live it out and also share it with others. It's not about just what they said. It's about how they lived their life as well. Now, with that in mind, open your Bible uh, to Mark chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 1 and in mark chapter 9 now this is this is the very next thing the very next sentence the very next words out of jesus's mouth after he just finished saying if anyone is ashamed of me and here's what you need to do deny yourself and come follow me and if you're ashamed of me uh then i'll be ashamed of you and then the next thing he says is and verse 9, chapter 1, I tell you the truth, some of you or some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God come with power. And this, this, this confuses some people because they're like, what does that mean? But it's fulfilled in the very next verse. In verse 2, it says, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him, led them up on a high mountain where they were all alone. There he was transfigured before them, his clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them, and there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, this also confuses people, because people are like, yeah, that was the kingdom of God coming with power. He brought Moses and Elijah back from the dead. That wasn't the kingdom of God coming with power, because he didn't bring them back from the dead. They didn't continue to walk around as living people like Jairus' daughter who he raised from the dead or other people that he raised from the dead. The reason why it's the kingdom of God coming with power is because the people who were alive saw people who died hundreds of years ago and it clicked that, hey, there is an afterlife, there is an eternity, and they got to see what it looks like for people who spend the rest of eternity with God. They didn't just see people come back from the dead, they saw people who died and now were spending eternity in the presence of God. That was the kingdom of power, or the kingdom of God, that they got to see come with power, right? Uh, Verse seven says, then a cloud appeared and enveloped them, and a voice came from the cloud, this is my son whom I love, listened to him. Suddenly, they, when they looked around, they saw, excuse me, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders, not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, discussing what rising from the dead meant. Because now, they're starting to think in a kingdom of God mindset, and before, rising from the dead meant, hey, you raised Jairus' daughter from the dead, so we're now human and we continue to walk, but will we die again? But now they're thinking, hey, they died hundreds of years ago. You didn't rise them to walk on this earth. They continue to live in the kingdom of heaven, so they're having this discussion about what all that entails. Drop down to verse 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And again, these teachers of the law, these are the people that don't know the word of God. They are the scribes of the word of God. It's not the same word doctrine like when they use for Jesus' teaching. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, he asked. And then a man and a crowd answered, teacher, this word is the word that means doctrine. Teacher, I bought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it sees him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And this is Jesus' response. We're going to talk about this in a minute. It says, "O unbelieving generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Now, first important thing is when Jesus uses that word generation, he's not talking about a specific age group, which is what most people think. When we talk about generation, generation X, Z, the millennial generation, I don't know what's after Z. Maybe they start numbers, 12, 2, I don't know. But we talk about an age group from this age to that age. When Jesus says generation, he's just using a general term that was used to mean all of you people. Like if we say... Uh, you know, this generation is always on their phones. We're not talking about, like, Jax, who's always on his phone, or people his age group, right? We're just talking about everyone because Larry is way older than Jax, and he posts way more stuff probably than Jax, or even, even and I do. I post a lot of stuff. Uh, Larry posts way more stuff, and he's older than both of us. So it's not talking about an age group it's just talking about the people in this day and in the complete jewish bible version this is what it says instead of you unbelieving generation because this is the way the jewish people would have understood the language that was used it says people without any trust right it's not about an age group when jesus uses that phrase usually he's talking about just the people in that day right now um Drop down to verse 25 is what it says when Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you again, because he had demonstrated authority over the spiritual realm. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples, the people who were trying to learn what Jesus did so they can go live it out in their life, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied, this kind can only come out by prayer. Now, here's the thing. He's not saying uh, if you pray, if you had prayed first, you would have been able to drive the spiritual demon out. And some versions say, can only come out by prayer and by fasting, right? And it's not saying that if you would've fasted first, you would've been able to drive the demon out. What Jesus is saying is, hey, if you wanna be able to do the things that I do, then we need to practice the spiritual disciplines that Jesus did. Jesus demonstrated and had spiritual authority, but Jesus also spent time in prayer with God the Father, he also fasted, fasting not like what we call fasting today, because for Lent, I see people online saying, hey, I'm fasting from social media. My question is always, so the the 43 hours a week that you spend on social media, are you spending that time with God, or are you just finding something else to do to keep you busy instead of looking at your phone? Because that's not fasting. Fasting by definition is, and some people it might be true, because, you know, social media addicts. Uh, Some people, it might be true. Fasting is telling your body or not giving your body something that your body thinks it needs in order that you can spend time with God. So when people fast from food, right? Our bodies need food, but instead of, you know, some people do an all-day fast, some people do specific foods, uh, some people do all different types of fasts, but it's not giving your body something it thinks it needs so that you can spend the time with God. And if we are fasting from anything, but not spending the time with God, we're not fasting. We're just wasting our time, right? So what Jesus was trying to get across to them, hey, is if you wanna do the kind of things that I do, then you need to spend the time that Jesus spends. You need to practice the spiritual disciplines uh, that he does. Drop down to verse 30, it says this. They left that place and passed through Galilee. And this is important. Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were because he was teaching. Again, that word is a word that means doctrinal. He was teaching, communicating doctrine to his disciples. And he said to them, the son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And later, after three days, he will rise but they didn't understand what he meant and they were afraid to ask him. And again, he's drilling into them this whole understanding of what we call substitutional atonement. It's not like he's just like, hey, they don't like me, they're gonna kill me, and I'm gonna rise because I'm gonna flex on them and show them that they can't keep me down. It's that, hey, they're gonna kill me because I have to die to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity, but I'm gonna rise from the dead to show them, you, and all humanity throughout all time that their sins are paid for and that, yes, I am God in the flesh, right? So he begins to drill all of this stuff into them, but the very next thing he begins to communicate to them is one of the biggest problems that we have today in the church. So um, I'm going to put these verses up here on screen. The rest of the verses, because one of the commands again that he gives is in Mark 16:15. He says, "Go into the world, preach the gospel to all creation." Right? He gives this to them, to his disciples, to us. Right? That's what we're supposed to do. But the thing that he discusses with them next is the main reason why we, as the body of Christ, are ineffectual at doing the one job that God has called us to do. This is what he says in verse 33. He says, they came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. This is the biggest thing that stops the church from being effective, right? Competition between denominations and even within denominations, competitions between congregations. Because we'll fight to get, they'll put 17 churches in a community of like 300 people, and they're all fighting to get these people into their building. And we'll do it under the guise of, well, we worship this way because we're Methodist. We worship this way because we're Lutheran. We worship this way because we're Presbyterian. God doesn't give a flip about that. And what we're doing is we're causing division. Uh, And look at what he says. Sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first... Right? Anyone who wants to be, and this is from the kingdom of God perspective, this is the total opposite of what we do in our culture. Anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. If we want to make our name for ourselves, whether it be as a denomination or as an individual, or even as a pastor, as a ministry leader, as whatever, we have to put ourselves last and we have to serve others. That word servant is the same word that's used for deacon, which means to minister to and to wait on and to literally serve other people. That's what we have to do if we want to be his disciples. And he said, teacher said, John, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we told him to stop because he was not one of us. If that were to happen today, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, we told him to stop because he wasn't Baptist like us. He wasn't Presbyterian like us. He wasn't Lutheran like us. He wasn't the same denomination as us. And and they forget that the whole purpose, we're all on the same team. We all serve the same God. But we divide and we separate and we fight amongst ourselves. And we allow ourselves to be ineffective in what God has called us to do. Uh, He said this, Jesus said this, don't stop them. For no one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. And this doesn't mean that everybody on the planet that doesn't say anything bad about Jesus is for Jesus. What it does say is, and this is the key, don't stop people who are out trying to do the work of God just because they're not with you. In some versions it says, uh, they, it's not doesn't say they weren't from us, it says they weren't from our band or from our group, and Jesus is like, hey, if you see other people out doing the work of God, who cares if they're not from your denomination, that's why we have uh, the diaper things that we collect, the Anglican church does that, we're just helping them, Uh, there's a food bank uh, out of the Presbyterian church, one out of Elizabeth Baptist church, we send people to help them. All the things that we do, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel. If there's another denomination, as long as they're a God-honoring denomination, and they're doing the things that God has called them to do, how can we help? How can we be a part of what God has called you to do? And uh, I said I would bring this up. There was a a guy who contacted me, um, and he works with the blessing board. And they get volunteers uh, from congregations And then when someone is in need of like furniture and household goods or whatever, especially he's told me they work with a lot of people who you know lose everything because of a fire, but they don't have the resources or insurance doesn't help them enough to replace everything. They will bring them in to a warehouse full of beds and refrigerators and kitchen sinks and dishwashers and let them shop for free so that they can replenish what has been lost and they don't charge them anything the only qualification, and I thought, this is like awesome, the only qualification, the only thing they ask is, let us pray with you once you have everything you need. Because we want you to know that everything that we're giving to you f- for free is because of the love of God. And so the guy's like, hey, would you guys be interested in coming to hear a presentation and possibly doing like a volunteer day like once a month or once a quarter? And I'm like, sure, we'd love to hear it because if you're doing what God has called you to do, how can we be a part? This is what the church is supposed to do. This is what it means to be a disciple, to serve others, to put others ahead of our own need, and to live out what we preach about here on Sundays outside of these walls in the community. I'm going to ask you guys to stand, um, and I want to spend some time praying for the blessing board and for all they do. Um, I don't know if we'll be able to help them because you can look around, there's only like so many of us. Um, But we're gonna go and listen to their presentation. I'm gonna come back and bring it to you guys. And then maybe sometime during this summer, we'll put together a day where we go out and we help them if that's what God has for us. So God, we lift up this community of people, this organization that is committed to helping people get back on their feet to giving people resources, to giving people furniture, to giving people equipment, to giving people household goods, and all they ask in return is that they can pray with the people and let them know that everything that they have just received is because there is a God who loves them. And we pray that if it be your will, that you allow us to be a part of the human resources that help make that happen. God, we pray for every person who is uh, looking to call themselves a disciple. We pray that we understand that it is not for punks. It is not for the weak. It is not for those who just want to make a name for themselves. It is for those people who are willing to serve you morning, noon, and night, who are willing to put Others first, who are willing to spend time in your presence, spend time with you, and spend time in your word so that they can go and live out your will in their community. God, and we pray that you would make us part of those disciples, that we are willing to spend time in your word, spend time with you, and spend time with others so that we can go live out your word in our community We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, and everyone said, amen. Amen, amen, amen.